friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. So happy to be here with you today. The music in the background is from our good friend, Mr. John McLaughlin. His newest album, Angst and Grace, is one of my favorites. I hope you will grab that. This episode is brought to you by True You by Michelle DeRussia. Are you continually exhausted by a do more, be more life? If you've listened to our episode with Carrie Newhoff, you know that's something that I um, find really important to talk about. Um, or do you ever feel like you aren't really allowed to be your true self? Or maybe you don't even know who your true self is. In her new book, True You, Michelle DeRussia helps readers trim away the excess in their lives piece by piece, uncovering their true selves. And with this book, you will declutter your heart, let go of busyness and grow in intimacy with God and find rest in your true God-given identity. You can visit michelledurusha.com slash true you to learn more. And as we are thinking about 2019 and how we do that, how we live uh, more intentionally, we talked to Carrie about that. And, and this month, we're having conversations about the next generation and about how we can invest in them, what it looks like to care well for teenagers. This week on the show already on Monday, we had Miss Amy Bird from Birmingham, Alabama. I love hearing y'all's thoughts on how she is investing in teenagers and what her ministry looks like. And uh, you guys seem to be loving that show. So if you haven't heard it, go back and make sure you listen to that. Today on the show is Drew Hill, author of Alongside. Drew and I have been friends for years. You'll hear about this, but he is a Young Life leader. He is actually in charge of the Young Life blog, which is nationally and internationally read, kind of the expert on how Young Life does ministry and how to be the best version of you as a Young Life leader. I just am super impressed with how Drew leads that community. And his book alongside is about how you love teenagers with the gospel. And so there's no better friend of mine to have on this month as well to talk to us some more about what it looks like to love the next generation well and how to treat teenagers with love and the gospel. And so today on the show, Mr. Drew Hill. Drew Hill, welcome to the That Sounds Fun podcast. Thanks for having me. Dude, we've been needing to do this for too long. Like 15 years too long. (laughs) That's exactly right. I mean, that is, and you know this about my show, but one of the rules is it has to be someone on has to be my friend or someone I want to be friends with. You are my friend forever. What year did you guys move to Athens? 2003? 2003, yes. Three, okay. Okay, tell me, so you were the youth pastor at the church where I was volunteering with the student ministry, which is how we met. Why did you and Natalie move to Nashville? I mean, you didn't. Why did y'all move to Athens? (laughs) We moved to Athens because of Bart Scarborough. Bart was the Young Life Area Director in Athens. And he was my Area Director when I was a college student at Carolina. And he called and said, hey, come be the youth pastor at my church and let's do Young Life and youth ministry in the church together. Oh, I did not know that. I mean, I remember Bart, but like at the time, Young Life like barely existed in Athens. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's grown like crazy. I went and spoke there last semester to yeah. the leaders, and there's like 250 of them. It's oh unbelievable. Oh, my gosh. 250 leaders. Drew, I remember we like couldn't even get into schools. It's crazy how yeah. it's grown. I mean, God is moving there in a big way. Yeah. Okay. So, and how long were y'all in Athens? For three years. Okay. Before we moved to Denver. And then Denver. That's right. Okay. Slow down. Let's, I forget. Yes. I have so many questions. Okay. Back up and tell me why you wanted to be a youth pastor, why you wanted to do student ministry in the first place? Well, I had done Young Life staff after college, and then I'd worked at a group home for kids who'd been in jail out in Colorado Springs called the Dale House Project. And so Natalie and I had moved there and spent this year doing 
we were engaged and lived with different people and kind of learned how to do ministry with the farthest out kids and really just had a heart for them. But I mean, it really began for me when I was in middle school is when God called me to do youth ministry and put it on my heart. Really? When you were in middle school? I was 13 years old. Yeah. And I was at summer camp and God called me to do youth ministry. What does that mean? Okay. So you say God called me. What does that mean? When you say that, what is, what did that actually sound like? What did that look like? Especially for a 13 year old? Yeah. I took my kids and Natalie up there a few weeks ago when we cut down a Christmas tree, we went up to Laurel Ridge youth camp where I was sitting when I really felt like the Lord explained to me through his Holy Spirit is all I can explain to you uh, that he he loved me so much. And I just felt so overwhelmed by his love that I was like, man, this is so good. Like I've got to spend the rest of my life telling people about this because I've never experienced anything better mm. than the love of God. Yeah. And then how did you know that that was going to look like, like at that time, do you think, so when I grow up, I want to be a youth pastor? Well, I didn't exactly know what it was going to look like, but uh, Chris Rice, the musician, are you friends Come with on. him? Come on, yes. He's one of my people. I love Chris Rice. He's awesome. He was um, teaching me how to play guitar. He was our camp speaker at camp, and he would come to our camp every year and um, sometimes be the musician, sometimes be the speaker, but he just had this huge influence in my life. And he just said, Drew, if you could grasp how much God loves you, then you will stop trying to get it all right and stop trying to just be this legalistic get it right kind of person. I mean, he said that to you at 13. Yeah, at 13 years old. Wow. And I'd known him for a few years at that point. And I mean, I need to call and tell him like, how much of an impact he had in my life because that that week really transformed my understanding of my own belovedness. And and I saw my friends around me, you know, trying to find this belovedness through people and acceptance as all teenagers do and as all people do. Um, And it just clicked for me that week. And I was like, man, I've got to help teenagers do this. I didn't know how that would play out, but I went home and told my church that I want to do youth ministry forever. Oh my gosh. You literally went home from that camp and like went to your youth pastor and was like, I need to make an announcement. Oh, no, no. I went to the senior pastor and um, we had a a 5,000 member church. And and then he brought me like up on stage and they like prayed for me and commissioned me to the lifetime of youth ministry as a 13 year old. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I did not know that. So yeah, you were Gary, 13. Gary Chapman, the five love languages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was the pastor of my church. And um, and they, you know, they, him and Dr. Quartz, my other pastor, just met with me and started discipling me and investing in me then. Okay, so this is a really interesting thing for those of us who have younger people in our lives, teenagers, whether it's my friends who are raising teenagers or like you invested in teenagers. It's something people say around Crosspoint a lot is there is no junior Holy Spirit. Like I hear people at this church and they can hear just like we can hear as grownups. Oh, yeah. I mean, I totally believe it. And that's why I think I speak it to kids so often and really try to cast this vision for them because I had adults and Sunday school teachers and people who small group leaders who stepped into my life and cast this vision over me and held these crown over my head and said, grow into it and believed in me and gave me chances to fail when I was a kid. And yeah. that's the only reason I'm sitting where I am today. And I do think there's just something about we need to, when a young person, a teenager, a college student says, I think I heard God say, we we need to help them walk that. Right. I mean, I think we got to be careful because, that's you right. know, it's, e- it's easy to be confused or is that the Holy Spirit or not? But, you know, there are ways we do this. We line it up with scripture and we line it up with church history and we line it up in community, you know, like the, these decisions are not made individually. But I think those folks looked at how God had wired me and gifted me and 
gave me a chance to step into that calling. It's, I started leading a small group of sixth graders when I was an eighth, ninth grader. Yeah. And, you know, getting to practice that and, and then affirming it over time and saying, yes, this is what you're called to do. And my mammal Sunday school class, they were one of the best. If, if you don't know what a mammal is, it's a grandmother <laughs> in the South. Um, but my mammal is 92 years old. She was at our house yesterday and oh she gosh. still prays for me every day. And yeah. her Sunday school class loaded up a bus with 30 of them and came to Natalie Nye's wedding in oh Salisbury, gosh. North Carolina, their entire Sunday school class. But they, they, I was their class missionary. I would go play music at their Christmas parties every year. And they prayed for me, commissioned me, wrote me notes. I still have some of the ladies in that class that write me notes and send me $10 birthday checks. And oh my gosh. those mean so much to me to know that they prayed me um, into the kingdom and into this place in ministry. Man, no kidding. It, were there other kids in your church who were feeling as called toward other things besides ministry like that, that they were talking to adults about? You know, I, I look back, I was talking with a friend the other day, and there are a lot of folks that were in our youth group that are doing ministry now. My friend Matthew Smith, he lives in Nashville, does Indelible Grace music. And oh, yeah. He was one of my best friends in our youth group growing up. And my brother is a youth pastor at his church also. And I really feel like um, the fact that Truett Williams, my youth pastor when I was growing up, and Will Taburin and David Thompson and Sterling Griggs and all these guys stuck around for a long time. And I think their faithfulness over a long period of time really built this um, desire in folks of like, man, I, I could do this as as a job and as a vocation. And they really love their jobs. And it yeah. sounds so fun to be in youth ministry. And it was really a, a fun calling. Uh, you know, I think now youth ministries get a bad rap because there's such a high turnover and it is such a yeah. hard job. Yeah. And they, those guys laid out for me a job that I wanted to have. Yeah. What women were you watching that that in, influenced you and inspired you? You know, my um, my Sunday school teachers were always couples, you know, yeah. a, a man and a woman. But my best friends in high school were these two girls, Laurie and Millie. And um, it was it was hard to find guys who were really wanting to walk with Christ. I mean, Matthew and I walked together, but um, Laurie and Millie really formed um, my understanding of how to have a relationship yeah. with women. But it really wasn't until after college when I worked with a lady named Beverly Knopp. And she um, was my first boss with Young Life. And she was yeah. my area director when I was an intern. And um, and I really honestly realized a lot of my own like biases and how I'd honestly looked down upon women and thought that men were better um, yeah. in a lot of my life. And, and this ugliness kind of rose up in my spirit. In much the same way in college, it had like racism had kind of shown itself in this ugly head in my heart. And so I joined a predominantly African-American fraternity my senior year of college because I wanted to like deal with that racism. And oh, wow. I think God gave me ha Beverly as a boss to really like dig up a lot of that ugliness I had. And and now I um, I joke with Natalie, with my wife, because I I really feel like I connect with women in this different way. I always want to be in the in the girls part of our small group. We've been in a small group for eight years with four other couples, and the girls always circle up and talk, and the guys circle up and talk, and I always ask if I could join the girls group because I feel like I connect so much better and yeah. deeper with them. But I think Beverly really helped do that, and now I get to work with Melissa Lukowitz um, at Church of the Redeemer and Valerie Seguero and these two women who have become like sisters to me. And I'm so thankful that God has helped um, 
kind of heal a lot of the misconceptions I had of women. I love Melissa, by the way. We've talked about this before. Yeah, She's Enneagram awesome. 7, hardcore. Yes, hardcore. I know. I adore her. We had her birthday party last night. Uh -huh. It was her fourth birthday party of the week. Uh, yeah, feels right. Feels really true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is why. Yes, that makes me really happy. Um, I adore her for that. Um, yeah, you feel like those women kind of stepping in kind of changed some of your outlook on women in ministry or just women women's roles in general? Well, in general, but specifically in ministry, you know, I'd, I'd grown up predominantly with men, um, you know, in ministry and, you know, but honestly, you were a, a huge part of that, you know, because you, you ran the youth group in between Masara and me, you know, and isn't that right? Yeah. Weren't you in yeah. charge? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you were in charge. Yeah, of me the, and Matt. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, you and Grogan and we, we, when we stepped in, Natalie and I came, I mean, you were still such a, a huge um, role in that, in that church and in that ministry and you had kept it going and, um, and getting to have, to walk alongside you in youth ministry and do, do it with you. I, I saw so many giftings in you that you've lived into now. And it, I mean, I'm not surprised at all that you're doing what you're doing now because I saw you doing it 15 years ago. Wow. That's really kind, Drew. Thank you. I'll pay you for that later. You got it. Um, you know, I quote you all the time because I feel like I learned one of the most influential sentences that has affected how I do ministry all the time. I mean, in every way, how I do friendship and everything is when you taught me that you, the sentence that Young Life says a lot, you earned the right to be heard. That's right. Yeah, that's not mine. I stole that from somebody. Yeah, well, I, everybody that hears it from me thinks it thinks that you wrote it. So, <laughs> well, good, um, good. Well, you kind of talk about what that means to you. Like, what does it mean, particularly in the context of those of us who are who are influencing younger people or who have friends that don't believe everything we believe? What does it mean to have to earn the right to be heard? You know, it, it's a weird statement because, um, yeah, I mean, I've read a lot of articles lately, actually, people like debating the statement, but I think it's so true. My, my, really? My, yeah, I, I have because uh, there are people who think, you know, you should just be able to say what is true and allow the Holy Spirit, if he wants to make it work, to work it, you know, and there are different sides of the camp about what people believe on how that works. But I mean, I think it's true because it's what God did. You know, God put on skin and he moved into our world. He became one of us. He could have snapped his fingers and done it a different way. But the the God way of doing things, as we've just walked through in the season of Christmas, is incarnation and incarnational ministry. And it's showing, showing up in our world. And that's not comfortable. And it's awkward. And um, and yet it's what he's invited us into. It's the Jesus way of, of doing life with people. Yeah. And it just is, I mean, I think when we met, I knew the message version existed, but I never really read it. And you taught maybe your first or second week, Drew, you taught either the leaders or the leaders and the students that John scripture that says that Jesus put on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Yeah, John 114. And I was like, oh my gosh, this this new guy is so good. <laughs> <laughs> that was Eugene Peterson, not me. Yeah. But yes. Again, I give you all the credit, buddy. <laughs> Creativity is forget where you stole it from. That's good. That's right. That's right. And so I just think there there's really something about changing how we, um, for me, that really affected how I interacted with teenagers because I thought it is okay if I don't say everything today. But what I need to do is show up. That's right. And they will feel it. I mean, I still have a young person in my life who has walked some really hard stuff. And I've said hard stuff as we've gone, but but the thing that really impacts him from what he says to me is he he knows I'm still there. Yeah, that's right. 
You know, like, I'm not sure he remembers anything I've ever said, but he knows he can call me. And I think that's such a huge uh, difference compared to some older ways of doing student ministry. Well, I mean, if you think about how a lot of parents raise their kids, even they say, do this. Why? Because I told you so. Right. You know, right. that's that's kind of how people are raised. Like, you should do this because I told you so. But we catch so much more from what is modeled for us than what we're told, you know. And so what you did, you know, as you've as you've modeled that for this guy is you've kept showing up in his life. And really, he's seeing Christ through you, even if he doesn't know that that's who Christ is. And it is definitely a lot harder. It's easier just to stand up behind a pulpit and tell somebody what they should do. It's a lot harder to go get in the trash can, you know, and of their life and in that mess and sit with them in the darkness. Right, right. So you get called, you feel this real call from God and you hear him as a teenager and you dig into this. What made you step into young life versus just going straight into student ministry? I was a Christian bubble kid. I mean, my my letter jacket has a Bible verse in gray or stitched on the back of it. It says Philippians 4.13. My high school license plate was G-S-U-S-F-R-E-K. Jesus freak. That's oh, right. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. my gosh. I had and right beside it was real men love Jesus bumper sticker. You oh know? yeah. And oh real I men was love that Jesus. Guy. Yeah. I was that guy. You know, I I was praying around the flagpole and I was looking down at everybody who wasn't, you know, and I thought I was better than them because I'd figured it out. And it wasn't until the summer before my senior year that Truett, my youth pastor, was giving a talk on Luke 15 mm-hmm. and he was talking about the lost parables and he talked about the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. And I realized, oh, Jesus came for the lost. You know, this isn't wow. just this club of people who live in this bubble. And my bubble burst that day. And I realized, yeah. oh, this is this is what God's called me to do is share his love with the lost. And ever since then, I mean, it was like the gasoline just got poured on this evangelistic heart that God had built inside of me. And it has been my desire to, you know, share Christ with outsiders. And Young Life just does a fantastic job of that, that we in the church often miss, you know, Mm -hmm. and we get comfortable in our own walls. And so I still feel like a weirdo being a pastor of a church and being an evangelist. I think 99% of the people in my seminary classes would say they were more shepherd teachers than apostle evangelist kind of people. But I'm committed to having a foot in both worlds. You know, I'm going to be with Young Life staff folks in Florida tomorrow and, and later this month in Wisconsin. And I uh, still serve part-time with Young Life and part-time in the church, and I'm committing to do that for as long as the Lord allows me to. Man, I love that. Okay, so then that makes me think of this. You guys are raising three kids, and a lot of my friends are raising kids. I think it's a good idea to raise children. Um, <laughs> I believe in it. How do you raise them? This is a thing I have thought about so much. How do you raise them as faith people without them automatically Christian bubbling but also the Christian bubble can be really helpful and made us who we are. And then we broke out of it at some point. Totally. How do you do that? How do you raise them to be what a foot in, in faith and understanding that it's, that the bubble isn't a good thing? You know, when we worked at the Dale House Project in Colorado Springs, there was a couple there, Kevin and Sharon Kamiski, and they had kids that were the same ages as our kids are right now. And their kids were always around that house with all these teenagers who'd been in jail and mm-hmm. they had awful mouths and did, had done awful things and were still just beautiful, lovable kids, even though they had a lot of bad habits. 
But the Comiskey kids, they hung around those kids all the time. And I was just always like, man, I'm not sure if I was a parent, I would want my kids hanging around this, you know, but those kids, those kids are amazing kids. This Comiskey kids. Now, I think they were raised in this, you know, they were outside the bubble. They were raised in the world and they were taught by their parents. Hey, we are called to be salt and light in the darkness. We're Mm -hmm. not going to go hide over here. And so part of Natalie and I's mentality as we raise our kids is we do want them exposed to, you know, the world and for them to see like the, the brokenness, but we also want them to know that they carry the light of Christ inside of them. And so we spend a lot of time, you know, as they hear things that are, are not exactly right, or they see things in the teenagers that we're hanging out with, we talk about, you know, Hey, why, why is it this way? And why do you think that they're sad um, that they broke up with that girl that they were dating, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, we, we play those things out with them and, and try to be as honest as we can. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. Yeah, I would. I, it is something I've thought about a lot of the parts of my childhood I'm super grateful for. And also wondering, how do you raise kids that that aren't heavily influenced by Joshua Harris books, right? Like, right. like, how do you like, Yeah, how do you? I broke up with my college girlfriend because of Joshua Harris, by Listen. the way. I'm thankful. I'm thankful I did. But. We can't, we, we aren't even gonna, we aren't gonna give him <laughs> any more time than that. Yeah. But I just, I think it's a really interesting thing because so many of our friends are raising kids. Your kids are, how old's, Honey's Honey is 10, nine. nine. Honey's nine. Hutch is six. And Macy Hart is four. Right. So you're getting, you have the age kids that a lot of my friends have as well. And, and it, they're just getting to where they're teenagers and, and it's, it's got to be this tug back and forth of how you, how you let them risk being hurt and exposed to the world, but also teach them in the ways of God. I mean, we don't get it all right, but Natalie is unbelievably grace-filled in the way that she parents them and, and enters into conversations with them. But they see the people that we're interacting with. You know, we have friends that are teenagers that are pregnant, that are not married. And Honey's asking those questions like, how did that happen? Yeah, you know? and, yeah. and we're about to that stage where we're going to have those conversations, I think, in the next few weeks. And, um, but like, I'm when I'm speaking in Wisconsin in a couple of weeks, I'm taking honey with me. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to actually live out, you know, what I write and speak about of just this earning the right to be heard, walking alongside yeah. people mentality. And so I'm, I've asked honey to come with me and speak with me. But, you know, we get up in the mornings together and, you know, we don't do it every morning, but most mornings we're trying to read the Bible together. You know, and she's nine years old now and understanding it. And she loves that time with her daddy. And, you know, I want to do it every day, but this morning it didn't happen, you know, and we don't have it all together, but we're, we're trying and it's it's the best we can do. Talk about how your family has benefited from having teenagers in your kids' lives. Oh, it's, it's amazing. I I tell people um, all the time. I love watching on Insta story. It's so sweet watching how people, how the students invest in your kids. It really is a, a blessing. I mean, it's a little bit hard because I know the realities are, of what are going on in a lot of the teenagers' lives. And so I'm kind of like, man, I'm not sure I want that person to babysit for our kids, um, you know, al- alone. But other times I'm like, yeah, come in and hang out with our kids. And they are so loved by by them. I mean, granted, there are times when the, the kid, our kids feel left out, as in every kind of social situation. But we, you know, we had these friends, Peter and John, who moved here about five years ago from Kenya and they're some of our best friends and we always celebrate birthdays together with them and they've become like part of our family. And John is a senior in high school and, 
and Peter is a sophomore in college now, and they're the first people ever in their family to go to college. And they love our kids like their own siblings. You know, they give us, they give them Christmas presents, even though they don't have much money to buy them with. They um, treat them, you know, as their own. And we really are trying to teach our kids that family is not biological family anymore. Mm, God yeah. redefined it, you know, and it's the family of God that we get to celebrate with. Yeah, I was preaching yesterday at church and I said, we got to have a family celebration on the 12th day of Christmas yesterday yeah. with my mom's out of the family. But we told our kids that every Sunday we get to have a family celebration with the family of God together. And this is just as meaningful to me as that was. And my family was sitting there in the audience. I didn't want to slight them and let them know that I, I love them less, but right. I just want our kids to know that these are your brothers and sisters and it yeah. is real. Yeah. Why does that matter to you that they feel that? Because I think, you know, we're going to die one day. They've only got two other siblings. We only have so much that we can teach them. I want them to know that they're a part of something much bigger than the Hill family of five. Yeah. And and that's how God has created the world to be. You know, I mean, he's called us to love one another as brothers and sisters. And if Honey and Hutch and Macy Hart can get that, that will change the way they treat people and the way that they're treated by people. And we we pray for them every night for them to have brothers and sisters in Christ that are true friends, because it is a hard thing to find really good friends, especially in those teenage years. Yeah. One of the families that we love from Athens, you and I both, is the Chittam family. And that's one of the things they modeled for me so beautifully is they were insanely generous to me and always let me in their house, gave me their stuff, gave me my, I mean, they just took care of me like a family member. You know, the the whole time I was in college, just about, and even after college, and what that has done, that shaped who I became as the adult. Yeah, we we have my friend Valerie who works with me. She was living with us during the month of December, and our kids love it. We always have somebody staying with us in our house. Do you really? Yeah, it's just a we we had people that would stay for a long period of time, but then we changed it to just let people be able to come in and stay part of the time. And there are sometimes I'm like, man, we need some more space and to get away from the busyness, you know, ministry life, we need kind of our own haven. But we have a basement downstairs with a game room and a guest room. And we love to have folks over. We had 50 folks at our house yesterday. And we want kids to know that this isn't our house. Like this is a place that God has given us to be a steward of, but it's really like for our neighborhood. And it's for our youth group and for our church and for our friends and for our enemies and people we don't know yet. We really want them to see this space as a place we can invite people into because that is the way of Christ, the way of hospitality. And just like your life was changed through the Chittams, we hope to be able to invest in tons of other people's lives just the same. Yeah. And I've seen, I mean, there are students you and I still talk about and know that we share that you are still in, really invested in their lives. I saw one of the students from Athens yesterday at Target. Nice. You know, and like, isn't that funny? There's yeah. like five or six of them that are up That's here that, awesome. from that same one little church. Yeah. Hey friends, just interrupting this great conversation to tell you about my friends over at Samaritan Ministries. Samaritan Ministries is a growing biblical community of Christians with 80,000 plus households sharing about $28 million in medical needs person to person each month. While sending monthly financial shares directly to other members' families, these quarter of a million members like me also pray and send notes and cards of encouragement through this effective and affordable and God-honoring ministry. For nearly 25 years of Samaritan Ministries' existence, the monthly financial share has never exceeded $495 for a family of any size, and it's even less for couples and singles. Mine is way less than that. 
Samaritan Ministries member Deborah from Illinois said, I love that we get to be a part of a ministry helping other believers and sharing in their burdens. And I love getting the opportunity to trust and rely on God through this unconventional means of healthcare. So to learn more about how you can be part of this community of Christians helping each other with healthcare, visit SamaritanMinistries.org slash that sounds fun. Again, that's SamaritanMinistries.org slash that sounds fun. Okay, back to the conversation. Okay, so you've been doing, you've been in full-time ministry. Let's not start when you were 13. Let's start after college. So for like 20 years, probably? Yeah, yeah. So you have teenagers who are, that you started doing ministry with when you were a leader who are now parents probably, right? Yes, it's that's been a really fun part of this is watching kids grow up. And, you know, a lot of them went away from the Lord during those like college years. But now as they're getting married and becoming parents, they are coming back into my life more. And yeah. there are those phone calls and there are the divorces and there are the big sins that they get called in and they're um they're calling me now you know as 30 year olds and 35 year olds and it's such a it's what you were talking about earlier it's showing up faithfully in their life over the long haul you know it, it ends up leading them to the place where they get to the cross um, my friend alan levi do you know levi uh, i only know him because of you you um you took me to a concert we took a bunch of students to a concert Man, we've got to get y'all to become friends. Okay. He's like, he's my hero of yeah. all heroes other than Jesus. But he, um, Osinga had him on his podcast. Listen to that episode okay. um, on the pivot. It, it, I mean, it'll just make yeah. your heart home. It's so good. Okay. Um, but Le- Levi was one of those people in my life that had this huge influence in me. And one of the things that he wrote in one of his songs, he called it Words Fall In. He said, pile words onto people's hearts. And one day when their hearts break open, that truth will fall in. And the reality is a lot of teenagers feel like, okay, life's good right now. I look the best I'm ever going to look. You know, I've got my friends. I've gone to the same school. I'm on the sports team. Like sometimes teenagers feel like they've got it all together. They don't need God. But eventually their hearts are going to break open and life is going to hit them hard. And when that happens, the truth that we've been able to pile on their hearts, it will fall in. and. Yeah they'll be ready to receive the grace of God. Yeah. Yeah, that's your book is titled Alongside Loving Teenagers with the Gospel. I love that it doesn't say convincing teenagers of the gospel or teaching teenagers gospel. It's like, or teaching teenagers to believe the gospel. It's literally like loving them with the gospel. Right, without any strings attached. Even if they never get it, even if they never understand, we're going to keep loving them. We're going to keep caring about them. It's a write about the care versus cure mentality that Henry Nowen talks so much about. If we can care about kids without trying to cure them, without trying to fix them, and through that, they get to see the gospel lived out. Mm-hmm. Because God loves us even when we don't love Him back. His covenant to us is, I'm committed and faithful to you even when you're not faithful to me. Yeah. Okay, so what made you decide to write a book about all this? You know, I just had so many conversations with parents and youth pastors and young life staff and young life leaders over the years. And it is asking for, hey, how do you handle this kind of situation? How do you do this? And I realized that nobody had kind of written down the young life way of doing incarnational relational youth ministry in a book that I'd ever read. Yeah, There were some older ones like Out of the Salt Shaker. um, And there's like some like master plan of evangelism, some classics of how do you like share the gospel with people. But I had not read anything that that laid out, well, how did Jesus do this? And yeah. people encouraged me that had read my blog along the way. Hey, you need to, you need to write this out. And 
So when the when a publisher came to me and asked me to do it, I was like, man, this is such a gift. But it, honestly, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. I don't know how you've cranked out as many books <laughs> oh, as you have. It ain't easy, it brother. Thinking hard to yeah. write a book. Yeah, I remember you would text me and say like, I gotta get more words down. I'd be like, Go, Drew, go. You can do yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, thank you for your encouragement along the way. It was it was a big sacrifice, and um, but I mean, it, it New Growth Press did an amazing job with it, and, and it, it's. I'm I'm really encouraged and thankful. I've gotten, you know, it's so fun when you get those emails saying, Hey, I read your book and it's really helped me in my relationship with my son or my daughter or the kids in my youth group. And they're rare, you know, I mean, I don't get them every day, but when I do get them, I'm like, man, thank you, Lord, for giving me this story that I get to share. Yeah. Yeah. So alongside is split up into a couple of different sections. How did you, so part one, the runaways, part two, the pursuer, part three, the pursuit. Part four, The Long Road Home, which sounds to me like The Prodigal Son. Right. Yeah. It is a story of all of us, right? I mean, don't we all just run away from the Lord and desire to be chased? You know, and so the first part of the book is just what is really going on with teenagers in 2019? Yeah. You know, because it's a different culture than when you and I were teenagers. It's a different world and they're finding their identity in different places. And so the first part just kind of paints this picture with a lot of true stories of of kids who are running away. And I include a lot of actual online posts that my teenage friends in Greensboro wrote down. And it, and I think it's pretty eye-opening to see what teenagers are facing yeah. in today's culture. And then the next part is just, what is this gospel that we're sharing with them? Yeah. You know, and what 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 is the true gospel? You know, it, it's not one of works and us earning God's favor. It's one of God loving us even when we don't deserve it. And then the, the part three is the main part of the book. And in it, I ask the question, what did Jesus do outside of the miracle? And, you know, a lot of times we look at the miracles and we say, oh, Jesus healed this person, but what else did he do? Like he touched the person. What does it look like to, to touch kids in 2019 in a healthy way? Because there's a lot of bad press going on about touching kids. Well, how do we actually do that? Because God's created us in a way where we need that physical touch, you know? And, and so I try to lay out some practical things that parents and people in youth ministry and people with teenage friends can do, whether it comes to taking a walk with them or listening to them or holding their hand or praying for them. How do you, how do you live that out in our culture? And then the last part is the long road home. It's just, this is a long, long journey and we've got to have some patience. And I almost didn't write the book because I felt like the enemy was just telling me so many things that were not true and all these lies that I didn't have any stories to share about success stories of how I'd seen kids following Christ. And in it, I share some of the stories that the Lord let happen at the beginning of the stages of writing this book that really encouraged me to try to encourage folks that it is a long journey and we just got to keep faithful in it. Yeah. One of the things I love is at the end of every chapter, you did a whole section of like questions and thoughts for parents and a whole section for people in youth ministry. And a couple of times you have it for parents and youth ministers, and then for those people in youth ministry. What made you decide to like get so specific for each group? Well, I started writing the book just for Young Life Leaders because I write the Young Life Leader blog right. that a lot, of, a lot of leaders read and wanted them to have it all in one place. And as I was writing it, I realized, man, these principles are just as effective for parents and they and parents need to know them too. And, yeah. and so I, I started writing it for both of them. And I realized there are some things that, that youth leaders need to read and some things parents need to read, but it's important for them to understand where they're both coming from because, I mean, it's a team effort. You know, there's no way that a parent is going to be able to raise a teenager on their own. They've got to do it in community. You know, when I see you hanging out with those singers kids and when I see you hanging out with your other 
friends. I'm like, man, I want Annie to move to Greensboro so she can come and hang out with my kids. But it makes me <laughs> grateful that you're there hanging out with them. And it yeah. makes me grateful for the Valerie Segueros who are hanging out with my kids and, That's right. and loving them because they're going to listen to you in a, in a way they're not going to listen to mom and dad. And we've yeah. got to build a team around them. And so the book really is how do you create a, essentially a board of directors around your kids to to give them all the picture of the body of Christ and show them what Jesus is really like. And I feel like maybe you taught me this as well, Drew, that there's a time where where students really almost black out their parents' opinions. Oh, totally. And if you don't have other adults that are trustworthy speaking into what into those seasons and into that time in their lives, then their friends and the internet and all these other places are going to tell you tell those students who they are. That's right. Our counselor at the Dale House Project, when I worked there, she did her like PhD studies on what had kept kids from at the Dale House from returning to jail because nine, nine out of 10 kids would go back to jail after they'd been in this halfway house, after they'd already served time as a 15-year-old for yeah. these violent or sexual crimes. And she had um, done this research. And the one thing she found that kept kids from going back to jail was that they had a significant relationship with a non-related adult. Oh, interesting. Drew, that's fascinating. It's fascinating, but it's true. I mean, you watch it and it's why young life leaders are so effective. You know, it's why youth pastors have such influence in kids' life because during those formative teenage years, a lot of those teenagers are not willing to listen to mom and dad. But, you know, I think the danger is when you step into the single kids' lives and you don't help them connect back to mom and dad, you know, you've got to be Brilliant. that translator and yeah. bring in their, their arms back together instead of, you know, this aunt who is, you know, having these secret side conversations. You've got to keep pushing them back to relationship because that's God's desire. Yeah, that's exactly right. That is the trick for the outside of parent adult is your job is not to not to increase the misunderstanding, but to decrease it. To be a bridge, yeah, really. That's right. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, to be a bridge between the parents and the student. Even if the student doesn't feel understood by the parent, they can feel understood by you, and you still speak highly of the parent. Right, right. You can remind them of what is true when they forget it. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. What can people do, like when parents who are like freaking out because of their teenager's current behavior or their friend group or... Or they're, you know, they maybe they raise their kid in the Christian bubble and and she is just like rebelling like crazy from all of that. What's the next right step? I mean, besides praying for them, which we won't like, we're not just passing over that like it doesn't matter because it does matter. But but what's the next step they should do if they're kind of in that panic place? You know, one one thing I love to encourage parents to do is to kind of treat your house like we try to treat our house, you know, as a place where other people are invited into your family. And so often people are not even eating dinner together. But what would it look like for parents to invite an aunt or a young life leader or a youth pastor person, you know, or even just a godly college student or a neighbor to come over and have dinner with their family yeah. once a week or once a month. And then in that, you begin to ask them questions. Hey, tell us your story. What were you like when you were a teenager? And, yeah. you know, you don't ask them to give lessons, like teach, tell them why they shouldn't do this. <laughs> right, why shouldn't right. they have a boyfriend, you know, but right. tell your story. We learn from stories, you know, that's yeah. how we're formed. And so get more people telling their stories and your kids hearing that. And then I also think another thing is really getting people out of their comfort zone and taking them into an adventure. 
So often oh, we get stuck. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we get stuck in the day to day fight with our kids of how do we get them to get their homework done in time and how do we get them to practice in time? And we become taxi drivers and, you know, just an ATM. And what our kids really need is someone to show them what life with Christ can look like. And a lot of times it takes us getting out of our comfort zones in order to do that. I mean, think about where you have been most impacted in your journey with Christ. You know, I mean, you, you write about insight. I mean, on site, yeah. you write about um, these places where you get out of your normal. When you go overseas, you encounter God in this different way. It doesn't have to cost a lot of money, but what would it look like for a family to go on a camping trip together right. um, and invite somebody else to come with you? Ah, oh, that's a great idea. You know, yeah. Instead of just being your little family. Right. That's a great idea. So, I mean, even there's a family here at Crosspoint that at my church that will just invite me to dinner, you know, so it doesn't even have to be, it can be, I, th- I think the adventures are awesome, but also like, what does it look like just to have someone extra over for your meals? Like you're saying, they can speak into your kids' lives. That's brilliant. And right? read the gospels through that lens and you'll start seeing how Jesus did things, you know, and Jesus is always having people at the meal who don't belong. You know, I mean, he's eating with with Zacchaeus, you know, the the tax collector. He's eating with prostitutes, you know, who are, you know, wiping their tears on his feet and Mm -hmm. perfume. And he he's like and people are like, wait, what's going on here? We're supposed to be having this normal, organized, planned dinner. Right. And he's inviting other people into that. When you read the Gospels and look at what Jesus is doing outside of the miracles and ask that question, you're like, oh, this is how I can walk alongside teenagers in my life. Yeah. Now, here's a weird question. How come we so much more often hear about women investing in families like that and over men? For example, you have a woman, Vanessa Vanessa Valerie, Valerie, that lived with you. Why is that? Is that Do men look at that opportunity differently than we do? Are they looking at more like coaching opportunities? I think it's honestly because of the shame culture that we live in right now. You know, when we were growing up, you hear about shame culture and you think about other countries. Uh But America in 2019, especially with men, is a culture that is just characterized by such shame that men are not feeling like they have anything to offer because behind the scenes, so many of them are just addicted to pornography and addicted to this secret world. And I think it has driven men away from having that confidence to step into other people's lives and feel like they have something to offer. So how do we help them? How do we say that to single men who are listening, who want to be involved in teenagers' lives or who want to you know, experience family even when they're single? How do we help them take that first step? I think shame results when we have this big distance between the self that we present to other people and the self that we perceive to be true of ourself. Mm -hmm. The distance between our presenting self and our perceived self, it results in this great shame. And I think what we've got to help folks do is realize that they can present brokenness and still be loved, that they can present an I'm an addict and still be loved. And, you know, and you and I have walked along friends, you know, who have had those addictions, you know, and I mean, I've had addictions in my life and we don't have it all together. And I mean, one of the things that I really try to communicate with our congregation at our church is that we are broken people. We do not have it figured out. And I try to confess some of those things publicly and some of the ugly things. And it's a risk because I want my church to feel like I'm a pastor who's got it all together, right, but I don't, right. but I don't, you know? And so when we, when we can put our junk on the table and say, Hey, this is what's really going on with me then other people are going to be drawn to that. I mean, honestly, Annie, that's why 
people love to listen to you and read to you because you are so good at putting your junk out there for other people to see, you know, and you have made these ugly things beautiful because you've been willing to, to put it out there. And the more we can do that as leaders, the more others are going to be invited to do it themselves. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Hey, what do we not know about teenagers that we need to know? Well, I I believe um, that teenagers spend about six hours a day on social media. And you probably like know that stat, but think about how it's rewiring their brains to look for approval. Where, where are they finding that approval? You know, and think about how the, um, the dopamine, you know, is being fired up in their brain every time they get a like, every time they get a comment and how that is shaping and forming them. I feel like we have got to be super intentional starting when our kids are a young age of forming their desires. I love the James K.A. Smith, you are what you love oh, kind I of love kind him. of stuff, you know, yeah. and Tish Warren's um, book, Liturgy of the Ordinary. We've got to help kids form you know, these liturgies when they're when they're young kids so that they are being formed by God and what he said is this true of them and not formed just by social media. And I think we think that, oh, well, it's tough to be a teenager today. And we just kind of shrug it off in that way. But it is not just tough. It is actually rewiring their brains in a dangerous way. And we've got to help them. And so I think a lot of times what that means is we've got to take away their phone or we've got to set limits on their phone in order so they are that they are not so formed by six hours of social media time, yeah. but that they are formed by other things. Yeah. Have you read um, The TechWise Family? That is one of my favorite books. I tell Gosh. people to buy that before you buy alongside. It is. It, it really has formed the way that we parent our kids. And I mean, I, I say that and then I, I'm like, well... We mess up all the time. We don't have all these things down. <laughs> my, like my brother and his wife, they pulled their TV out of their living room after they read that book and put it on a cart in the closet. Oh, so wow. they would have to roll it out intentionally and they replaced it with a piano and did a lot of the things that Andy talks about. But the one thing that really had has changed more after I read that book is Andy says, take one hour a day, one day a week and one week a year away from mm-hmm. screens. Mm-hmm. And um, we've really tried to do that, you know, Sabbath with with the hour a day off screens and the hour of the day a week and it's really hard to do it Um, and we mess up all the time but we're really trying to at least take some days where we are setting it aside from the lord and not being interrupted by our screens yeah i listen to everything he tells us to do andy crouch and so (laughs) i'm like okay one one hour a day one day a week one week a month one month a year is that right is that what he does one hour a day one day a week and one week a year. One week a year. That's right. That's right. One do week you a do a week a year off of screen? Um, I did last year because of on-site because uh, I didn't have it. Um, yeah, I yeah. have not scheduled it for 2019, but I take a week and fast every year and kind of prepare for, uh, right around my birthday to kind of prepare for whatever God and I are up to the next year. And so I would imagine this year during that, I will take a week away. You know, I was really encouraged by you in the book writing process by just watching how you have set up some boundaries in your life. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I don't know if you've read boundaries, um, but yeah. I, I really feel like you have uh, modeled that well for me. And and I think what we do in our culture is we have so many more friends now than we've ever had because of the internet. You know, right, and we have right. so many more things that we can do and opportunities and you could write this next book and you could do this next thing. But if we're not setting those boundaries of when we're watching screen screens and when yeah. we're being formed by these things, yeah. then we're just going to get eaten alive. And so thank you for modeling that for well, me. Well, you're kind, but the truth, Drew, is that I'm about 
five steps from getting eaten right before I stopped. Do you know what I mean? Like, right, right. I realized oh, yeah. like I can feel the breath of the monster on my back about to eat me. And then I go, oh, I should stop. I'm going to stop watching Insta stories because it's taking too much time. You know, like yeah. I wish I was quicker at it. I'm working at it, but I, I'm grateful. I zoomed in on your um, Insta story like a couple weeks ago because you yeah. had like put up your calendar yeah. on there and I like zoomed in. I was like, how is she spending her time or whatever? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, I, I was just <laughs> impressed by like how you had allocated certain things. And I mean, as an Enneagram seven, me being an Enneagram three, um, you know, I feel like we're, we're pretty different in how like we're, we're wanting to spend our time, but yeah. I need people like you and Melissa in my life because, you know, when you ask me what sounds fun to you, like, that's a scary question yeah. for me because I want you to say, Hey, what are you going to accomplish today? Yeah. And so much of my, my journey has got to be, I've got to learn to have fun more. I've got to learn to set those boundaries. So I'm not working all the Which time. Which is so funny. Cause Drew, you're so funny. Like you're so fun. You do the craziest stuff. I don't have a friend <laughs> who does more crazy fun well, things. I do you. like having fun, um, but um, it is, I mean, it really is a chore for me to turn off the accomplish button. But when I do it, when I turn my phone off and say, Hey, we're going to go have fun today. You know, you don't see most of the fun stuff we do because I'm not able to take pictures of it because I've turned my phone off. Yeah. But I like try to make a specific, you know, mental, I'm not going to take a picture of this. I had a friend take a bunch of high school guys on a backpacking trip at beyond Malibu, which is a young life property up in Canada where you can go backpacking and snowshoeing. And the, they said, no cameras or no phones. We're going to live in the moment. And they went the most like beautiful place in the world for 10 days and didn't take a single picture. Right. Right. And I was so jealous. I was like, that's amazing that you were able to do that. I was a little mad because I wanted to see the pictures. That's exactly right. I know. I know. I feel the same way about, I mean, that is some of the experiences I have that are my best memories are things I don't have pictures of because they only exist in my head. Mm-hmm. I think that's awesome. Um, okay, so what are you going to accomplish today, Drew? How's that? I'll lead with that question. What are you going to accomplish today? <laughs> well, I'm trying to I'm trying to hire uh, an Eliza. Um, are you? Know, you? Yes. I, you need I've an started assistant. speaking a lot more, and yeah. they want me to do another book. And um, I've stepped into the lead pastor role at our church. I'm still doing youth and I'm still doing young life and my life feels crazy right now yeah. and I need somebody to help me. And so I have an interview after I get done talking <gasps> to you. Yes. I'm thankful for, I'm hopeful, pray, pray. Well, listen, I will. <laughs> you know, we actually just hired a new assistant and uh, Eliza is transitioning off and Jenna is transitioning in. And I was saying to Jenna this weekend on the road, that I had pulled out my journal from last fall when I was praying for her before I knew it was her. And and I was praying and asking, God, God, we need these really specific things. And how are we ever going to find the right person? And and I don't know how to... And and now that she sits across the desk from me, it, it, it's mind-blowing. Oh, and so I'm just going to awesome. pray those same things Thank for you, you, that it'll be really, really clear. Um, I mean, it was really clear to us. And I think it was really clear to her too in the process. And so, I mean, even to Eliza, it was really clear that Jenna was the right person to step in. Now we are not replacing Eliza because you can't replace humans. I don't, I don't think, I don't think you can replace humans. I think you just move to the next right person. Right. And um, thank you, Emily P. Freeman. That's right. That's exactly right. It's been beautiful. So we will pray that same thing for you that you'll find the right person that, that steps in and helps you because you can't do all the things you have on your plate, (laughs) nor can I. So I have two more questions for you. One, we in February, we're doing all couples all month, just because I thought that'd be fun. I thought it sounded fun to me to talk to couples every podcast Super episode, fun. Yeah. right? So we just have them from all, we have some 
athletes and some country music people and some pastor people, and it's just going to be great. But will you tell me how you and Natalie met? We actually were at Carolina at the same time, and okay. we'd never met while we were in college. We never met. But after we started dating, we looked back at our college pictures, and I was in pictures that she had in her scrapbook. <gasps> no. We were in the same places. Yes. And we never met. Somebody set us up to go on a stranger mixer one time, supposedly, but we d- ended up not being able to go. I think I was too busy trying to accomplish something that mattered yeah. instead of having fun. <laughs> Feels right. So fast forward to two years after I graduated college, the year after gradu- Natalie graduated, we met at Joe Gibbs race shop when at a young life leader training day. She was okay. a young life leader in her hometown. And th- I was wearing a Mexican wrestling mask yeah, doing a skit. Probably. And uh, she couldn't resist the, the mask. So. <laughs> And how old We've were you? Married almost fifteen years. Yeah, I was about to say y'all got married the, right when we met. Yeah, we did. We got yeah right the same day as Jay and Catherine Wolf. We yeah, uh, that's exactly right. Because we couldn't get a lot of the St. James people to come. That's exactly right. We couldn't get right. a lot of the people from church to come. Yeah, I haven't had them on the show yet. I've got because people don't know that Catherine and I have known each other just as long because her family You've not had her on the show. No, I, yeah, I don't know oh, why. Man. We just haven't. I need to. I, I adore. Brooks her. emailed me yesterday. Did he? Um, he did. Yeah, he's um, he's going through some health stuff right now. Yeah, yeah, I love that family. I just think um, I think they're the amazing. Them. Yeah. So okay. So because y'all got married the same weekend as Catherine um, and Jay, y'all none no none of us came to your wedding. <laughs> well, uh, like the Cralings and a, and a few other people. Yeah, came. yeah, yeah. Um, but we had only been there for a little while. You yeah, know, I feel at like church, y'all so. y'all came and correct me if I'm wrong. Did y'all come at the end of the summer and got married in the fall? Was that right? Correct. Yeah, I yeah, lived I with like the Galtneys. Yeah. Man, those are those are some good days. I loved serving with y'all. That was really really fun. It was it was so much fun. It was I'm I'm getting to get to hang out with Candace Conglos tomorrow. Oh man. Um, so I'm really excited. I love those that were girl. some good years. Yeah. Yes. Um okay, so you know the last question. I hope you prepared yourself. Now that you've told me how you're going to achieve, would you also please mm. tell me Drew, what do you do for fun? <laughs> you know, I was at Windy Gap Young Life Camp two weeks ago and uh, got to play basketball with all these young Young Life staff guys. They called me Uncle Drew while we were oh playing. Oh my gosh, we're dying. Old, old guy room, yeah. <laughs> um, but it was it was super fun playing basketball with them. And I'm getting to go be with them again um, tomorrow down in Florida for the Young Life new staff training. And yeah. getting to be with young folks who are doing youth ministry and who have that passion and they're in their eyes and their hearts is just, yeah. it just gets me fired up. And I love getting to take honey and my other kids with me to, when I go to places like that, this, yeah. so they can be around people who love the Lord and want to share his goodness with other people. So that's what sounds fun to me right now. Okay. Well done. Well, thanks for being on the show. And we, I mean, it, the fun thing about this month is that I feel like we're giving people resources that they need to get like a basket of books to give their student pastor, to give their young life leaders there and their friends who are parents of teenagers. So alongside it, your book is definitely one of those that I think everyone who is invested in a teenager needs to, needs to get a hold of. Well, thank you so much. And you can get it on alongsideteenagers.com or on Amazon or wherever books are Brilliant. sold. I'm really grateful, Annie. Okay. Well, my pleasure. Thanks for being on. Hug your family for me. I'll do it. We'll hope to see you soon. Oh, friends, don't you just love the guy? I know. Make sure you follow Drew Hill on all the social media places and make sure you grab a copy of his book alongside. I think you are really going to enjoy it. It has been such an interesting read for me. And I'm just so grateful for his thoughts and his wisdom. And, And there is just something about someone 
who feels called to a thing at 13 and is still doing it when he's almost 40. I don't think he's 40 yet. You're not 40 yet, are you, Drew? I don't think he's 40. Or if he's 40, he just barely hit 40. So for two-thirds of his life, three-fourths of his life, more than 50% of his life, he is committed to caring for the next generation. And so I am, I'm just so grateful for the work he does and for the things I've learned from him over the years, the way he has led me as a leader in his student ministry and has led me as a friend and as a pastor. And so I'm just really thankful. I'm super thankful for Drew and Natalie and their kids. So make sure you um, tell him thanks for being on the show. He's really easy to find. We'll link to all that in the show notes here and on my new updated website, AnnieFDowns.com. Our goal is always that the day after the show releases, we have all the links there for you on AnnieFDowns.com. You can just click on the picture of the podcast episode. We're catching up. We're getting there. But that's always our goal. And that's where you can find all the show notes, links to the sponsors of every show, and links to everything that we talk about at AnnieFDowns.com. Hey, speaking of, I'm embarrassingly easy to find. You know it. Annie F. Downs across all the social media places, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you are, I'm probably there too as Annie F. Downs. So make sure you say hi. And if there's anything I can do for you, that's how you find me. And our conversation about the next generation continues on Monday with my friend J.P. Pecluda, one of my favorite pastors, authors, just someone who has invested in college students um, in some unparalleled ways. And the conversation is really interesting. So I can't wait for you to hear that. Well, you guys have a great weekend. Go out and do something that sounds fun to you. I'm going to do the same. And I will see you back here on Monday. Monday.